It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We all we usually have a gambling segment. We really don't have much in that regard this week, if anything. And, of course, where you could ask me questions on any topic, go to Twitter Hit the hashtag Ask Any Anything, and you can ask me literally anything. Rick, um, two days before you are you are you are wed. How we doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to knock out a podcast. This is what my week revolves around. So uh, I'm locked <laughs> in right now. Your your week should revolve around what's going to take place in a few days. Yeah, I know, but I mean, right now I'm in, I'm living in the moment, and in the moment I'm doing a podcast with you, so I'm ready to go. What a pro! What an absolute I, pro! Consummate professional. Exactly. All right. What do you got for us this week? Well, the NFL draft starts next Thursday and runs through next Saturday. I will not be around for that. So we're going to do all of our Bengals draft talk right now. Cincinnati has the 31st pick in this year's draft, which is an odd situation to be in for this franchise. Before getting into the nitty gritty of who's available and what position groups are deepest and what's realistic and all of that, just from simply a need standpoint, what position do you think the Bengals need to upgrade the most in the draft? Good part is I don't think they do. I think this is a draft where you really, um, you really add to depth and you really can start to look for future replacements for guys. Um, if you want to pinpoint a need, I assume it would be corner, just because right now Eli Apple's your your um, starter um, opposite Jadobi uh, Wuzier, and of course Mike Hilton's a slot corner. So you'd like to upgrade there, and I th- I think that's the spot of most need. I know. I see a lot of my colleagues continuing to talk edge rusher. Um, I don't know if I buy that. I, I'm, I'm buying into Joseph Osai really is going to be that guy. And, and you know, uh, that moves Sam Hubbard inside. And in the worst case scenario, Sam Hubbard's still an edge rusher. And he had a good year last year. And, of course, you have Trey Hendrickson. I don't buy that. I, I do buy the, the need for probably a three-technique defensive tackle at some point, but not high-high. So, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning corner. Um, but, but the ability then also if there's – if Tyler Linderbaum, a center, is there at, at 31, and while you sign Ted Karras, is that the guy, hey, this guy's a star, we think. We're going to plug him in at some point at center, kick Karras over to guard. We don't have to worry about who's going to play left guard. Now we really do have our offensive line well set. Uh, I've talked about it before, wide receiver. I mean, you got to start looking for Tyler Boyd's replacement here sooner rather than later. And, you know, if you can't re-sign T. Higgins, you better start down that that path as well. Um, and, yeah, you don't have to worry about that till after next year, but that, that's quickly creeping up. If you really are going to move on from Jesse Bates and you find a safety in, in an early round this year, you go safety. But I, I think the great part is I hate to do the, the the proverbial best player available, but I really think that's where they're at, and that's a great spot to be. You don't have to have a plug-and-play guy necessarily. Yeah, that is a good place to be in, and I think you're right. I think ultimately, especially when you're drafting this late in the first round, that's – that's where you want to be, and that's where you should be, and that's where the Bengals find themselves is go after the best player available and try to upgrade your team as best possible. Get, getting a guy who's not going to ever have a chance to start anyways doesn't make any sense just because it's a position where you're not as deep right now. You, you have enough players at every position that you need to go find a difference maker. And for me, even just listening to you talk right now when you went through those positions, you're mostly mentioning defensive positions right there. And that's where I'm at too. I I want a defensive playmaker. I don't care where he plays so much. 
but I think cornerback would would be ideal if you're looking at where they're weakest. Do you think the you mentioned edge rusher? A lot of Bengals beat writers are talking about that. Do you think that has to do with the depth in this draft at that position? Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, I've seen a lot of people talking in that in, in regards of early rounds, and I just I'm just having a hard time buying that. I t- to me, if you're spending a first round pick. I want that guy to play this year. He doesn't have to play this year, but I want that guy to play. And if Joseph Osai is the real deal, and and, and I get the jury still out because we only saw you know a handful of preseason snaps before the guy got hurt. But if he's the real deal as a situational pass rusher, um, Trey Hendrickson's obviously the other pass rusher. Where, where does this first round or second round edge rusher fit? That's why I, I just I'm not sure I'm buying that. I'm, I'm not sure I'm agreeing with that. Give us your thoughts on what you think might happen with the pick based on how this year's draft sets up. And, you know, everyone does their mock drafts. And I know you've looked through kind of where guys are getting slotted and falling into place. What do you think the Bengals should do with this pick? Yeah, I I think it's 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 corner or um, corner center or wide receiver, to be honest with you. Um, I think that if if. If Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, were to fall there, I think he'd be awfully intriguing to to really take a long look at and and possibly select. But I, I think there's enough depth at corner, ton of depth at wide receiver, um, which means that you could actually technically wait. But if there's a guy, you know, if Trey Burks from from Arkansas is there and he's a freak at six two two twenty five, he played out of the slot last year. I mean, if I'm looking for a receiver, I'm looking for a slot guy to be honest with you. But you know, he has the body type; he can play outside. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm looking, uh, I'm looking corner wide receiver, to be honest. Um, I, I want a little more depth at the wide receiver position. Let's not forget last year. And I've said this before, you know, the big three only missed two games combined by injury. And that was T Higgins who, who missed two games with a shoulder injury and T's coming off uh labrum surgery, um, which he's, he's going to be fine. He's gonna be ready for training camp. But, you know, am I banking on three wide receivers, making it through a whole season again, and then I think you'd agree with this, Rick. The drop off from those three, you're you're back to the 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 Mike Thomas, Trenton Irwin, Trent Taylor, Stanley Morgan group of guys. And I just don't know if I'm buying into that group as as a dynamic player. Um, you know, if you miss one of those guys for a period of time, I want a I want a definitive talent that's going to go out there and replace them. And like I said, you're also drafting for the future there. So to me. Yeah, if Linderbaum falls, I'm looking hard at it. I'm thinking hard at it, but I'm looking more corner-wide receiver, to be quite frank, and then we'll see where we go from there. It was a foregone conclusion at the end of the year that they needed to address the offensive line. That was prior to the spending spree and free agency. How big do you think that need is now to draft an offensive lineman? I think a tackle at some point. I mean, right now, Isaiah Prince is really the only other true tackle on the roster. I mean, obviously, Hakeem Adeniji played it in college. Jackson Carmen played it in college. Deontay Smith was actually drafted as a tackle before they moved him to guard. So you have guys on the roster who have played um, tackle but have not played tackle at the NFL level yet. So, um, yeah, you have your two starters, um, you know, uh, in Jonah Williams and Lyle Collins. But I go back to, am I really expecting two tackles to get through a season without getting hurt? And we saw it last year. You had to play Isaiah Prince a lot of snaps, and he wasn't very good. Got his feet wet at least, and so he's a nice, I guess, backup guy. But yeah, I, I think I think tackle more than anything else. I just don't know if anybody in the interior you want to take, unless again you kind of get to the spot of, oh my gosh, the guy fell. I can't believe Tyler Linderbaum fell. Um, you know, we've got some centers on the roster, but we think this guy's a center for the next seven, eight, nine, ten years. Karras, Ted Karras did play a lot of guard. In fact, played all of guard last year um, before after playing center in Miami in twenty twenty. 
you know, at that point, if you think Tyler Linderbaum's a better option to play center and you move, uh, you know, you move Ted Karras back to left guard and that gives you, buys you some more time with Jackson, Carmen, Deontay Smith, Akeem Adeniji, and then maybe you start to rep those guys as a tackle. I think that's, that's the way to go. I, I do think, though, at some point in the draft, Rick, not first round, at some point, probably before day three is out or day two is out and maybe early in day three, I think you get a tackle just for depth purposes. It really is impressive what they were able to do this offseason, though, in yes. the agency, because yeah. to be in this spot right now and be saying they don't have to draft a lineman with either of the first two picks necessarily, that's a crazy thought to to fast forward from the Super Bowl to now and think that's where they'd be. I never imagined they'd get as much done as they did in free agency on the offensive line. To, to land all three of those guys, including a true stud in Collins, is, I mean, that, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, and that's where you see that they're they're changing philosophy of the last three or so years, where I do think you start to see the fact of Mike Brown has kind of been weeded out of the equation of a lot of stuff. Um, you know, you see it from it's interesting. You know, we we've, we've and I'm going to tie this to the Reds a little bit with the meddling of Bob Castellini. I think whenever he gets out of the mix of things, you'll see the Reds start to turn things around. And I think you've seen that with the Bengals. I think you've seen Mike Brown be kind of pushed out of the mix and. And 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 Duke Tobin taking care of the football side, and 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 Katie and Troy taking care of the the the, the business side, and you've seen it with Rick. And, and you got to admit, this is a change of philosophy that I don't think Mike Brown really has a hand in. I think he has signed off on it by default. But you've seen um, the change in philosophy in free agency, where they've gotten so much done the last three off seasons on both sides of the ball. Now um, you've seen the Ring of Honor. You've seen the practice bubble. You can't tell me that if Mike Brown was really still in charge of all decisions that any of these things would have come to fruition. So I, I think you've seen a change for the good, and you see, honestly, how stubborn he, he was to the point of detriment of this franchise. I hate to pick on him, but I, I really believe that. And so um, the last three offseasons, this team has gotten a ton done in free agency, and it's why the football team made such a quick turnaround. You are talking before about potentially drafting a wide receiver, and I, I know we've brought this up before, but you look at – the Bengals' stats last year, and after Chase Higgins and Boyd, the next receiver in line in terms of receptions was? Mike Thomas with five. Bingo. Exactly right. So, I mean, as much as people might say, well, why would you get a receiver? I I think that is legitimate. And in addition to that, at the tight end spot, you are very thin. Obviously, in terms of returning players on on the team, they added a a free agent tight end, but Drew Sample was the returning leading reception guy at tight end with 11 from last year. Um, I think that stinks that this draft is so bad with tight ends. I would stay away from tight end just because it yeah. seems like it's I, so weak. I, I think I think a day three guy, I mean, you know, they did sign Hayden Hurst. Um, I think that's kind of a tit for tat for CJ Uzama. I think it was a really good signing, but he's only on a one-year deal. Uh, you know, Sample's contract comes up after this year. Um, you have a lot of fourth to sixth round level tight ends in this draft, at least where they're graded from. There's a couple of second, third round guys. I just don't know if you go that early. There is a guy, Trey McBride from Colorado State, who's the number one rated tight end. There's a kind of a second, third round guy. And it was interesting, Dane Brugler of The Athletic, who puts out just a terrific draft guide. It's my favorite draft guide. He actually called him a, a better version of Hayden Hurst. So maybe if that guy's there in the third round, which I would doubt, or you have a really high grade on him. I mean, you have to start looking for a future replacement at the tight end position. I mean, you could always re-sign Hurst. Um, I don't think you're going to re-sign Sample. He just hasn't been good enough to re-sign. Um, I think you have to start looking in that regard, but you're right. I think it's probably a 
probably an early day three selection at tight end just to have another guy in the pipeline moving forward. Yeah, what worries me about it is when you have a position that's this bad at the top of the draft, and tight end, I've seen it ranked anywhere from the worst position group in this draft to second or third worst, but almost everyone who's been ranking them has them at the bottom. Other guys get bumped up. Someone's going to get taken. Someone's going to need a tight end. So they start talking themselves into, well, actually, you know, this guy's the best in the draft, so he's a, a first or second rounder. And it's like, in this draft, there may just not be any first or second rounders, if we're being honest. That's that's a possibility. Yep. As yeah. I'd be I'd be very worried about taking a tight end in this draft, just based on, I don't know all these guys well enough, but based on everything I've seen by the experts, it seems like tight end is very weak this year. Yeah, I, I do think they take one, though. And I, I, like I said, I think it's either it's either that third round slot or or somewhere fourth, fifth round, just to get another guy in the pipeline. And, and, and the good part is for this year, you don't need that guy. Um, it would be nice if that guy eventually develops because um, tight end is going to be awful thin after this year with Hayden Hurst being being potentially gone again as a free agent. I can't imagine they re-sign Drew Sample. And then you're down to Mitchell Wilcox, Thaddeus Moss, and, and that group of guys that have literally next to no NFL experience from a playing perspective. I have a name that I really am intrigued by with the Bengals' first pick. It might be a bit of a pipe dream, but let me see what you think of this guy. Nicobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia. On the smaller side, he's been slipping down draft boards over the last couple weeks, it seems like. But almost everyone who ranks the prospects in order have him as a top 25 guy. He may not be there when the Bengals pick, but if Nicobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia, is there, what would you say about that pick? I like him as a player. I mean, he was really productive, um, and he certainly popped on a defense that, that had a lot of guys that popped. I just think they're they're set enough at linebacker. I just think that would – I don't even – it's funny, Rick. I, I think if the next mock draft I do will be the last one come up next week. The, the, the ones I've done so far, I haven't even sniffed linebacker in any round, and I don't think that they do either, to be honest with you. But it goes back to what does their board look like. If that guy they've got rated as a – top 15 player, for example, top 20 player, whatever, and if he's the highest guy on the board, and listen, just because he's the highest guy on your board, you also kind of gauge of he's the highest guy in a position of non-need, but if he's so highly thought of just as a player, then then maybe they go that direction, but I, I don't have them sniffing linebacker whatsoever. Maybe they surprise me on day three. I just don't see it. Yeah, I wasn't expecting linebacker to be what they're – looking for in the first round by any stretch of the imagination, but just looking at some of the mock drafts I've seen lately, I keep seeing him slide farther and farther down. I've seen some people say he might be a second round guy, and that's crazy to me. I mean, after watching him this year multiple times, it's just hard to believe that that guy is not going to go in the first round of the draft. He is one of the most impressive playmakers, in my opinion, in the entire draft, so... Um, yeah, no, no. He, I guess on, on that defense, it was so great all year. Uh, he, he certainly popped. I will say the dumbest mock draft I've seen, and I wish I could give the credit or discredit to the person that did this, was a national mock draft guy who had the Bengals taking running back Brees Hall from Iowa State in the first round. If there's a position they're not going to sniff whatsoever, it's running back at I'm, any point. I would agree with you there. I mean, that my lord, in the first any round, sense at all. yeah, I mean, the, in the, in the explanation the dude gave might have been even dumber. Lay it on me. Uh, it, no, it was it was this guy is such a talent that you, you you take you take a running back in the first round here and you 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 burn him and churn him after five years. I'll give you the burn him and churn him. Do you not realize they have Joe Mixon under contract and they have uh, Chris Evans who they like and they have Samaj P. Ryan? I mean, did, what what are you doing, guy? Are you, are you paying any attention to the team's needs 
um, and 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 roster depth? Are you paying any attention, my friend? I have one more question about uh, some of the UC guys, but from a Bengals perspective, is there? Anything else about the the draft that stands out to you, or any takes you have? Yeah, no. I, like I said, I, I've said this before. I, I do. I think. I think it's a great position that they're in to where you're not. I mean, you remember the Billy Price draft? It was they had to get a center, right? Well, when you're in that spot, bro, mm, I just it's just a bad spot to be in. And here's the thing, um, you know, they, they've usually been uh, a best player available team, uh, which is kind of the way to go, but. Even then, I think they've taken fly. They took a flyer on a John Ross, who obviously has been the biggest Bengals draft bust in the last twenty years. Um, this is one where I'm not sure you can miss. I, there, there's just so many options to add depth at so many different position groups that best player available, I think, is going to help your football team now and in the future. I think that's just a, like I said, it's a great place to be. Yeah, as as long as you get the right best player available. I mean, well, you yeah. can still swing and miss on. You're right drafting a bust, but in terms of what position they need, I, I don't think they can go wrong. I would agree with that. Uh, looking at some of these UC guys, it, it's been impressive in terms of the way they've risen up some of the draft boards. Uh, obviously, Ahmad Sauce Gardner looking yep. to go in the top 10 of this year's draft. Yeah, now, maybe yeah. top maybe top five. Right. He's being projected as the best cornerback available. The guy though, I wanted to ask you about is Desmond Ritter. I've seen people talking about him being a potential first-round pick and potentially one of the best two or three quarterbacks available in this draft. Now, the opinions vary on that for certain, but what are your thoughts on Desmond Ritter as an NFL quarterback? I hope I'm wrong on this. I just I don't see him ever being a, a star. I don't, and I again, I hope I'm wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times in my life doing this this job. Um I, I do think he's the kind of guy who can have a long career because I think he's 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 all about team. Um, he's all about winning. Uh, I think he brings a great attitude with him. I, I I said this on the Sports Authority Sunday night. I I could see him being an eight or nine year Blaine Gabbert type of guy, and that's not an awful place to be. That's a lot of a lot of checks you're cashing. Um, uh, uh, not many hits you're taking. Uh, you know all those things. I just. I don't know. I just don't see him being a, a great NFL quarterback. And, and like, I, I boy, I hope I'm wrong because I, I loved watching him at Cincinnati. And, um, you know, I don't even know if they knew what they had in Des Ritter, right? I mean, he got thrown in that UCLA game. They pretty much didn't let him throw the ball. And as that freshman year developed, he did a lot more, um, you know. But I also go back to the Alabama game. It didn't feel like even UC's coaching staff trusted the, trusted him to, to, to do a lot of things in that Alabama game. It was almost like they were afraid of, of – him throwing the football in the Alabama game. Maybe I'm wrong, but if you, you watch the game too, Rick, that's just the, the takeaway I had is they just didn't trust it. And, and if you're not going to trust him in a college game, I mean, are, do you really is he really an NFL starting quarterback? I, I just, I'm sorry I don't see it. I, I, again, I hope I'm dead wrong. I agree. I missed it while watching him. I definitely did not expect this type of rise in terms of his uh, draft stock after the season. But all that being said, looking at what some of the scouts are saying about him and can he be a more athletic Andy Dalton, maybe? Maybe. Um, I, I, look, I, watching Andy in college, Andy spun it pretty well. Um, I just – I see Dez with the big arm, but I also see the, the, the erraticness of him at times and in, in, in inaccuracy of him at times. And, and that's at the college level where, where a lot of times UC was just simply the better team on the field with better players – 
And even then, he didn't stand out. He was a winner, and there's nothing that can take away from that. The guy made winning plays in winning times and made a lot of them over a four-year career. That doesn't make him an NFL quarterback. Um, I, I just I don't see it. I, and again, I hope I'm dead wrong because I'm, I'm, I'm going to root for the guy. Yeah, to me, it's more about the plays you can make. And when you're a college quarterback who's going to be a big-time NFL quarterback, usually that stands out, those big plays. And to go back to your point, like the Alabama game, it just seemed like UC's coaching staff was protecting yes from putting him in those situations. And that's not usually something that screams NFL quarterback. But, I mean, you listen to the— And maybe shame on them, right? Maybe shame on the staff for that. Right? It's, po- it's possible. I mean, you, you listen to these experts breaking down his film and everything. And they talk about his high IQ and the way he gets through his progressions and all that stuff. But if you're so good of all those things, then why was UC so hesitant to to turn him loose, in my opinion? But, and, and that's the one reason I, I think he's gone up the board is all those intangibles, even the tangibles, I guess, of probably being great on the whiteboard, um, being able to get through progressions correctly, all those things, and get through them them quickly and all those things. They, they all to a coach go, okay, I'll make this guy into a, well, yeah, yeah, I just don't know if you do that at that level. I just don't. All right, you want to switch gears here to some Reds baseball talk? Let's do it. All right. It's still very early, but the Reds are trending fast towards an all-time disaster of a season. The 2-11 and record after a nine-game losing streak is one thing, but you combine that with the offseason this team had and the recent rift between management and the fans following Phil Castellini's comments, it's it's off to a really bad start, Skinny. Do you think this season is headed for a total disaster, or is this just an early season slump that people are getting too worked up over? Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think a little of both. Um, you know, if this team, Rick, was 40 and 48, let's say, going to the West Coast and took an offer, you'd go, ah, ran into a real buzzsaw out there, and, and it wouldn't reflect – it would reflect on the record, obviously, but not quite as ugly as it has now. So I think a little bit of that is it's it's early, and unfortunately you ran into the buzzsaw that, that could come at any point of any season um, at just the exact wrong time. But this team hasn't even been competitive of, of late. Um, and here's the other part. Uh, you know, I, I think Tyler Stevenson, when he comes back, is fine. I have no problems with him. I think he's going to be a really good player. But we've talked, I did that, remember, did the glass half full, glass half empty, right? And I know it's early, so I have to give the gold cab at it's early. But are we sure Joey Votto's going to snap out of it? Are we sure at this age, if this was 28-year-old Joey Votto or 32-year-old, I'd go, yeah, absolutely. We've seen him. And, and he still could. But are we sure? No, we never should have been expecting much out of Joey Votto, in my opinion. All right. I mentioned the potential sophomore slump of Jonathan India. And again, not a lot of at-bats so far, but um, if you look at his numbers, he's not taking the walks he took last year. He's he's swinging a lot more. Um, He got off to a real slow start last year, so I'm kind of giving the caveat. But but I'm going back to all these, are we sure all these guys snap out of these things, even when they're healthy? Because I I heard a guy last night on Sports Talk, God bless him, he was, oh, they're hurt. And boy, when they get get back to health, this team's going to be fine. Are you sure? How, what, what can you point to to tell me that, guy? What, honestly, what can you point to? Can you point to Moose is going to be just fine? Is he? What, what over the last three years is going to point to Moose is going to be just fine? Um, you know, Tyler Naquin, Tyler Naquin, Aquino's in the lineup. This was a bad team before injuries occurred. And we talked about it. I, I, I even said if this team gets hurt, oh, my gosh, it's got to change. Well, here we are hurt, and it's a disaster. And there's nothing else to plug in. Aleo Lopez sucks. T.J. Friedel sucks. I mean, you bring these guys up, and they, they're just not good. 
And, and, and so a team that wasn't good before it got hurt is going to be a disaster after it gets hurt. And that's where we're at right now. Well, the fact that Aristides Aquino is playing every day. They have nobody you else. All you need to know about where this roster is at. The fact that you have no right. one else that you can try to plug in there with the way he's going right now is crazy. And by the way, I don't even think David Bell's wrong with that. No, I think he's agreed. right. I think Aquino is better than anything else they have, which is crazy to think about. Skinny, when you're talking about this team's problems, it's this simple. Let me read the lineup to you that they ran out there on Wednesday. Well, brutal. Kyle Farmer, Brandon Jury. Well, well, hang on, hang on. Love, love, love Kyle Farmer batting 7th, 8th, or ninth. Love him. Sure. Brandon Jury, Tommy Pham, Joey Votto in cleanup with Tommy Pham and Nick Senzel protecting him in that murderer's <laughs> row. Then Aristides Aquino. Oh. Then Colin Moran. <laughs> then Alejo Lopez. Then Aramis Garcia. That was the lineup that the Reds ran out in a Major League Baseball game on Wednesday. Exactly who was that pitcher afraid to pitch to, in your opinion, out of that lineup? Um, Maybe maybe, maybe Tommy Pham because he's starting to swing the bat a little bit against lefties. Maybe. 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 And, I mean, it's Tommy Pham in a situation where there is no one hitting around him. Yeah, I, or if Joey Votto starts going well, who's here's protecting him in the order? What pitch is he going to see? On, on any decent team, Kyle Farmer is a utility backup. Um, Tommy Pham bats seventh or eighth. Nick Senzel is a utility guy. Aquino's in the minors for any decent team. Joey Votto, at his age, in the way he's swinging the bat, hits sixth or so. Um, I mean, yeah, you're talking about a bunch of guys who are hitting in spots they have no business hitting in by default, and. Yeah, I as much as I think David Bell is a clown, and I've always thought he's a clown of a manager. I, I you're right. I can't blame him for this. I mean, he's got to he's got to put somebody on a lineup card because um, you're you're you got to put nine guys out, put nine guys out there, and the fact that he has to write. I'm sure when he writes a Kino sixth, he just has to grit his teeth and go. Sure, maybe he runs into one today. I hope. What about the idea of having a 50 year old Joey Votto batting cleanup with Nick Senzel protecting him? Right. No, it, it, it's all by default. Here's Nick Senzel can maybe be a ninth hitter right now. Would that? And I mean, this is would would that team that ran out there yesterday? Would that team finish over five hundred in Triple A? Probably. Really? Right, right, right around it. Okay. I mean, I think they could. Yeah, I think they could get to over five hundred in Triple A, and that's about the extent of what they can do. I mean, that group is just, I, I, I really, when I was reading through that lineup, I was like, this is a joke. I mean, there is not one pitcher. And, and the funny thing is you watch the games and you watch how these pitchers attack them. It, It's exactly like it looks. They go right after them. They're striking some of these guys out on four pitches. On Easter Sunday, the Reds struck out 15 times. Skinny. Yeah, that was good. I watched a good chunk of that game. That was a good performance. I this is The nine-game losing streak is the team's longest in five years. They've lost those games by a combined score of 59 to 18. They've had a lead for exactly 18 pitches during that nine-game losing streak. And that was two nights ago before uh, Machado hit the two-run homer and Famine homer in the top of the inning. And they have the worst record in baseball right now at 2-11. and 11. Yeah, and boy, you talk about a guy putting a foot in his, foot in his mouth in a major way. It, it, it continues to even get worse and worse, right? I mean, it, it was bad that day. They're 0-9 since he said those words, Rick, Phil Castellini. My lands could he have put his foot in his mouth any worse. Well, and to be quite honest, that's the most exciting part of this season to this point is him doing that and starting this riff. And now, 
I'm invested in this team sucking and no one showing up because of that. Yeah, like, that's too. the only enjoyment I'm getting out of the season right now is following what happens next and how bad attendance will get. I am genuinely looking forward to seeing how bad that's going to turn out. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the Wednesday game against Cleveland when the announced attendance was 10,000 and change, which tells me that's about your season ticket base, if not a little bit less than that. And so you're, I think you're going to see a lot of games this year announced at 10,000 and some change when you have a couple thousand in the ballpark. Speaking of which, did you see the announced attendance at Oakland? I think it was last night. I did not. 2,500. I didn't even know they had it in their ability to say it was that low. Like, I thought they just always lied at that point. I did Exactly. Well, maybe they lied about that too. I don't know. But that, that, <laughs> that, that was the lie. They were boosting up from 500 to 2,500. Yes. Uh, that gonna, that is I, incredible. I, I, you are going to see, I mean, can you imagine, literally, can you imagine this next month before school even lets out what some of these crowds are going to look like and then what they're going to look like when August hits and go back to school and football is really starting? Can you just imagine, can you imagine what the September crowds are going to look like? Do you know what the name of the PA guy is for the Reds? Yeah, Joe Zarehusen, great guy, old old radio guy. I've known him for a long time. He's terrific. That's right, Joe Zarehusen. I'm looking forward to the commercials they always do, where they're yes. selling tickets. You know, yes. here in a couple of weeks, where it's like, "Come see Colin yep. Moran down at the ball." Like, who who is going to be in the commercials? Are we going back to Joey Votto? You coming back to see Joey Votto in the Reds still? Well, you know, my old I, I've used the old line for, for, for years when, when they were not good as they were rebuilding and, and they would bring the big red machine back. And my mantra was always, when in doubt, trot them out. Um, yeah, where's case. Pete at? Well, no, now it's now I think it's it, we've gone through that cycle enough. It's time to start bringing the 90 champions back, Chief. Oh, yeah. So are we going to see Tom Browning come out? Yep, and Tom, uh, Tom Browning, Eric, Eric Davis. It's time to get all those guys to come back out. Come see Alejo Lopez and Nick Senzel. I mean, the TJ Friedel experience. Brandon Drury yeah, it's, leads it's, your it's, Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> and he's got that great voice, right? He really does. He's he, got. He he's does. So good. You know he's going to be trying to hold back laughter when he's oh, reading no Brandon Drury or Tommy no, Pham's name during those commercials. No, no, no question. No question. And so. As we recall, a lot of these moves were made, as we were told, to make this team better, right? Oh, yeah. So, that's where I go back to. I don't want to pin this on Nick Crawl. I don't, because I don't think he's at fault. But you know what? I'm going to pin it on Nick Crawl too. You, you, you told me you're making these moves to make the club better. Well, obviously you didn't, Chief. Yeah, to consider me shocked. I'm really stunned that giving away the middle of their order and a couple of their best, most talented players put them in a worse spot. Yeah, that I, is I, I, truly shocking. I, I'd love to see new ownership and just wipe everybody in the organization out, basically. Just wipe it out. Wipe them out. Wipe out the baseball people. Wipe out all the TV and radio people. Wipe them all out. Get, get new people in there. <laughs> well, the uh, hashtag I, I see, sell the team Bob has been trending for like a week straight off. Yeah, well, I'm, 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 wiping every, I'm wiping just about everybody out at this stage of the game. Wipe them all out. Unfortunately, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. I can't take John Sadak in a 2-11 and season. I can't do it. I can't take him. I can't even take Tommy Thrall any longer. <laughs> Maybe they could do another interview between Bob Castellini and Tommy Thrall to reassure yeah. all of us that yeah. the uh, the payroll has been more aligned with the resources. I'd love to have Marty back right now. I really would. Oh, could you imagine what he'd be saying? Oh, my lands. This would be a good time for... You know what? Uh, instead of Doc peddling Tom Brenneman's doing all of his water carrying and saying he should get another job again. 
what Marty and Tom should really do is do like a Twitch broadcast during the games where they You're say right. what they're really thinking. You're right. That you would to, do huge you, you can't do like a you can't do a play by play of it, obviously, because that's um, against Major League Baseball rules. But yes, you could do like an opinion thing as it's going on, a running commentary. Yeah, yeah. These NBA guys do it all the time. There's actually yep. an app now that'll even sync it up with your TV, so you can watch it and get their commentary in real time. And there's all types of NBA guys that do it. They almost do just like a running podcast as a, the playoffs are going on or whatever. If they great. did that for the MLB games, I mean, they'd be doing probably six figures in terms of numbers. No question. I, I I would love me some Marty right now. Oh, it'd be incredible. And the two of them combined. Oh, man. Yeah, I would, I would listen to that for sure. All right. Two huge college basketball stories came out on Wednesday, Skinny. One of local interest and the other a national story. Let's start with Oscar Shibway. The unanimous player of the year this past season announced that he's returning to Kentucky. Jeff Goodman reported that Shibway would likely earn in the neighborhood of $2 million through NIL deals this season. What does Shibway's return mean for Kentucky? I thought you were going to tell me the Rob Finnessy to UC news. I thought that was the local one. <laughs> Major. No, that wasn't it? That is coming up later. Not quite the same level of news, but it, but it is news. It is news. I like Rob Finnessy actually as a player. But anyway, yeah, I, I think it's it's obviously huge for Kentucky. Um, that's a great building block um, uh, to to have back. And I think for him, I think it's the best case scenario. I don't know how he evolves his game. Uh, you know, I I think for him, his problem in the NBA, Rick, is always going to be who does he guard. I do think he can be an elite rebounder in the NBA. I, I still believe, I, you know, if you can rebound now, I think you can always rebound. He's just one of those guys we talked about, knows how to use his body, reads angles, is relentless, all of those things. Yeah. He but, just plays but, so much harder than everybody else. Yeah, too. right, right. I just, and you can disagree with me for sure on this if you like. I just don't know him coming back. It's the right thing to do, and especially if he's going to make that NIL money, because I just don't know if he, I don't know if he makes an NBA roster right away. I, I just don't. Yeah, I mean, to earn $2 million as a rookie in the NBA, he'd have to go in the top, like, 22 of the draft. Definitely right. in the first round to get a guaranteed he's contract. He's not a yeah, first-round guy. Yeah, no one has him projected or had him projected as a first-round pick. So, in reality, I think financially he's actually even making a good decision if he's going to get $2 million to stay at Kentucky. And maybe that's really the more interesting part of all of this is what NIL could do for college athletics from this perspective. Everyone's yeah. talked about how it's bad and it's the dark side, but is it possible we start seeing some guys like an Oscar Shibway or some of the uh, college quarterbacks we've seen in the past that maybe were borderline, how how are they going to be in the NFL? Are they really going to be able to make it? Are they going to be too small? Like even a Johnny Manziel, for instance, how much would he have made in NIL oh, deals? In college, would it have been worth it for him to just stay one extra year in college? Something like that. Yeah. I'm fascinated to see how that plays out going forward. Yeah, I am too. And I'm going to probably be on the other spectrum of it of, listen, there are a lot of jock sniffers in this world, right? Um, and, and they want to be associated with these guys and they really don't know what, what they're not even thinking about return on investment. But at some point, people throwing this money around are going to look for return on investment. And what happens if we find out there's just not much return on investment? They quit given the deals. Correct. And, and listen, in the short term right now, sounds all great. Everybody's throwing money around like like drunk sailors, and that's that's all fine. But at some point, the money is not infinite. It is finite. Um, 
in a, in a city like Lexington, there there's obviously horse money and there's, you know, there's some some pretty good money, but, you know, that's it's not a metropolis and there's not a thousand businesses to throw money around. There's only a certain amount. Um, at what point do those businesses then go, wait, we can't keep throwing it around like crazy people here. We're, we're throwing away bad or, or good money for, for really no good reason, and we're not getting much return on our investment. It may, and maybe they do. Maybe it turns out that the return on investment is, is even better than advertising on a game or a TV station or whatever. Maybe it's a perfect return on investment. But um, I, I, that, that, I'm going to hold my breath a little bit on the NIL stuff. Good for the guys in the short term who are getting it, and um, I, I certainly don't begrudge them that, and good for Oscar Shibway, and I think – it, it, it does help at least for right now for maybe keeping some guys in, in at your favorite college or school or whatever. But I just don't know if long-term we're going to see just mega NIL deals like we're seeing right now. I just don't. So I actually agree with all of that. And that was my take when we were talking about the Quinn Ewers stuff, the quarterback who went to right. Ohio, State, Ohio State, got yep. over a million dollars in NIL deals and never played a snap and is already transferring back to Texas. But this situation is different to me, and that's why it makes it more interesting. Shibway's proven himself. He was the national player of the year by everyone's oh, yeah. standard. Yes. So, like, yes. there is a clear return on this investment. Now, how much, you know, ROI is the company actually getting out of their $2 million? I don't know. Right. But to me, it is worth doing an NIL deal with a guy who was the national player of the year last year and is coming back. I mean, assuming he doesn't get injured, you are going to get some mileage out of that. And if nothing else, if you are a super UK booster who has this money and is willing to spend this for UK to have a chance at being good... This is a good investment from that standpoint. I mean, Oscar Shibway undoubtedly gives UK a much, much better chance yeah. of being a contender. Well, like I said, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of jock sniffers in the world who want to be just associated with it. So I, I do I do understand that part. And again, I'm not begrudging right. Oscar anything. And I think you're right. And for, for him, it is a great thing. I do want to see the, the point in time where, and we're going to get there because we're starting to get there in Major League Baseball. Obviously, we saw that the Padres are now sponsored by Motorola, and that's just the first thing to come. That, that if somebody does have an NIL deal with a guy, if he has to wear their company logo on the uniform. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would be able to sign those deals if the rules aren't permitting them, which in college they currently don't. Um, but No, I know, but it's coming. It's coming. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what schools say, you know what, we're not going to be a Nike school anymore. If, you know, if Nike's not giving them much money or giving them enough product or whatever, if they're just going to say, our guys can wear whatever they want. If they can get an NIL deal wearing something else, they can wear whatever they want. I I think most schools are going to be very hesitant to do that, but I think there's a world in which it happens at some point down the line from, now, from, from, from a recruiting advantage perspective. Now for your Kentucky Wildcats at forward 6-9 from Louisville, sponsored by Don, John Nolan Ford, John Smith. <laughs> I mean, that would not be surprising at all. You've already seen where the all the schools have gone to like endowing the head coaching position, and so they name right. him after the family who pays but, that money. Or yeah, I was, I was gonna say, what, what's the the, the Xavier co- co- head coach is is, is from who? What's Sed- the Sedler family head coach? Sedler family, home city you. ice people. Yeah. Yes, thank you. thank you. And then <laughs> well the associate head coach position is endowed too by the Crawford family. I did not know that one. I knew the head coach was. I did not know the associate. That's great. Yeah. That's so good. So I don't think what you're saying is far fetched at all. I could totally see that happening with NIL sponsors. And and again, if you look at it from perspective of like how many advertising dollars are you getting out of this? I don't know what it equates to, but for the mega UK donors, if this equates to a UK final four next year, oh, then yeah. I think they would tell oh. you they're getting their money's worth. No, because they've, they've been doing it for years anyway. Right. And then you'll, you'll continue <laughs> to see them do this. If this works from that perspective, so. you just seen it above board. That's all. 
Yeah. Well, it also kind of represents a new day for Coach Cal. Because his whole thing has always been, you know, if you don't have a chance to get better here, if you've if you've proven yourself as much as you can prove yourself and raised your draft stock as much as you can, which let's be honest, Oscar Shibway isn't probably going to improve on what he showed last year. No, that's what I said. I mean, who's he, is, is he going to improve his foot speed to be able to guard somebody in, in the NBA with another year in college? Highly unlikely. Right. He's not going to grow to seven foot. Right. He's 6'9", 255. He is what he is. But if Cal now has this as kind of another way to do it of saying, hey, if we've got an NBA lottery pick or a, a, a definite first round guy, I'm going to push him out the door like I've been doing. But if we've got a guy like Oscar Shibway who can now earn $2 million by sticking around and this is the best situation, then we'll get guys to stick around. That changes things a little bit from the Calipari recruiting. Right. Absolutely. And roster management. Yeah, I'm with you. I think think it's a very good point. All right. The other big item of news was Jay Wright announced Wednesday he's, quote, proud and excited to hand over the reins to Villanova's next head coach, ending his tenure as the Wildcats head coach. Wright will remain with Villanova with the title of, quote, special assistant to the president, according to the school at least. He will be involved in, quote, fundraising, advising, education, and more, the school said. Kyle Neptune, the current coach at Fordham and a former assistant under Wright at Villanova, will take over the job as Wildcats head coach. Let's start with your takeaway when you heard this news, Skinny. Uh, like everybody, it was shocking, um, but obviously this has been, been in the works for some whatever period of time, some period of time, because they obviously had the replacement already um, in the fold. Which makes all it those. crazy that it stayed quiet, right? Right, exactly. That's the, that's, the, that's the biggest part to me is how quiet it stayed. When I initially heard the news, I think I texted a couple of friends, and you, you were one of them, and I said Lakers question mark, and that doesn't sound like that's the option. It sounds like he's absolutely retiring to, an, to another role. Uh, you and I were talking before the podcast, Rick, and kind of tied to this NIL transfer portal day and age of college basketball. If the Jay Wrights and the Coach K's and the Roy Williams just said, you know what, I'm really not interested in being involved in this. I'm just not. I've I've got plenty of money. Um, I worked hard. Jay's obviously much younger than Roy was and, and, and Coach K was in stepping away. 60's certainly a young a young guy. And hell, in two years, he may get bored enough to go back to coaching again. And he can have probably his pick of whatever job he wants to go to. But, but I do wonder if some of these coaches just are looking and going, I don't want to be involved in this. This just is, it's just, it's going to be too much of a five ring circus. I don't want to be involved. I could see it being an exhausting process for certain. And if yes. you've proven as much as you, as Jay Wright's proven in the last 10 years, then maybe it's just easier to step away. I, I can certainly see that. And I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong when you think about the great coaches that have just walked away from the game while still being plenty young enough to continue. And with Jay Wright, it's a little bit different because he is truly at the peak of the sport right now. He has had the team of the decade, essentially, in college basketball. So uh, this definitely came as a surprise. I guess the real question here in terms of what this means for Villanova is, has Nova's success been sustained long enough now that their place is solidified in the sport for the time being? Or... Is it possible that they take a huge hit pretty quickly with the loss of Jay Wright? Yeah, that's a, and that's a great question. I'm, I'm going to lend towards the latter because for whatever reason, he's been able to have guys who don't play a lot right away who stick around. And in today's transfer portal day and age, that's very rare. Um, I mean, hell, even guys who have real success, they leave too. I, I looked at one yesterday and I just shook my head. And, and again, I, I'm not begrudging guys making decisions, but a, a kid from Iowa State, 
you'll probably know the name before I will. He was uh, a freshman this year and, and one of their better players might have even been Big 12 freshman of the year. Um, yeah, Tyrese Hunter. Thank you. Yeah, just let. I mean, what, what did you not? What did you not do at Iowa State? That, that I mean, you were the freshman of the year. You ran the show. You you helped lead them to great success. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a riff with the head coach. Whatever. It just to me that 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 pops my mind. I get the guy, the Dante Allen of the world, who played at a big level. And went, you know what? I, I just want to go play. Great, dude. All for it. I get the guy that might have a riff with the head coach. Maybe that's the case here, but it just. That to me is that that would be the part for me as a coach where I've recruited a guy, brought him in, we've had success together, and he decides for whatever the reason to go. That's the exhausting part to me. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, I I want to be careful about that because you never really know why exactly. No, no I know, and that's what I said. There may be, sometimes there may be a rift, or maybe he wants to go to a school where his buddy is, or, or a maybe a family reasons. member is sick. You know, right, and you're but, going but, back but, home. So uh, things like that happen for certain. Right, you're right. But, it's but just I, like there's there's so many reasons now, and anybody can be so transient and leave for whatever reason they want that it just does make it an exhausting process for coaches and for fans too. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> it, LSU was such a great. I mean, LSU literally, what was it? Three weeks ago, for whatever it was, four weeks ago, not not too long ago, had zero players on its roster. Zero. Can you imagine starting from that point as a coach? And they have think, a new coach, obviously. I think UTEP literally had every player enter the portal that was supposed to come back. It's incredible. Yeah. By the way, a little breaking news here going back to the Kentucky side of things. Freshman Shaden Sharp will declare for the 2022 NBA draft and stay in, according to team sources, that by uh, Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. So he's projected as a high draft lottery pick. So that that's a big big break for Kentucky there. You get Shibway back, but a lot of people were wondering what's going to happen at that guard position. Shaden Sharp sticking around would have given them a huge leg up heading into next season. He's not coming back though. Sharp is going to enter the draft. Yeah, and I don't think that surprises anybody. I, I think the biggest question then is why did Cal not play him this year? That is such a weird situation. I don't really understand what happened there. I don't, I don't either. I, I honestly don't either. Um yeah, I mean, I don't get. It. He practiced. He they worked with him. Um, I think that's one of those ones where you look back at this team and go, "Why did you not play him?" Let's go back to the Jay Wright news for a yep. second. Aside from all the transfer portal stuff and NIL and all that, what does this mean for the Big East and specifically Xavier? I think it's a big help because, like I said, I, I I think Jay Wright for whatever reason just had that had the it factor where guys were willing to stick around, trusted him that he was going to develop them. And, and and that's why you saw, I mean, hell what two of the kids that started this year barely played on the, on the team a couple years ago. I mean, barely played minutes and now they're two mainstays on this team. And for whatever reason, kids trusted him to, to, to do that. And um, in that even slow paced methodical system he has, he's developed NBA players. And yes, the players had the talent for that. But a lot of times you think, the walk it up, grind it out system is certainly not going to behoove a guy to get better to go play in the NBA, and yet they, they did. And so he had that kind of an it factor. And God love Kyle Neptune. He, he went, you know, he went 500 at Fordham after they won two games last year. So good, good for him. And obviously Jay thinks a lot of him, but he ain't Jay Wright, man. And and listen, Villanova was something before Jay Wright, um, but it had a, had a lull after Raleigh Massimino left, and and uh, the, the Steve Lapis era took place, and kind of dipped and then back came Jay Wright to, to kind of revive the program. And Philadelphia has been a long-standing 
power across college basketball for a, for a pretty good chunk of time. They went to the championship game in 71. So we're talking, you know, five decades. They've had pretty good success overall. And, and even in the 50s and 60s when Philadelphia basketball and the Big Five was huge. But this cat, no matter how good he is, he right. And this isn't a blue blood program. It's been great for the last decade. Um, I, I wish this guy well, but I, I think it I think it can only help Xavier. It can help the other teams in the Big East that, that, that the, the marquee program has lost the main man. I think there's two sides to this. One, where would the Big East be right now as a conference if Villanova wasn't here since the transition? Good when, question. When That's realignment great. happened, right. this conference would be getting absolutely crushed for being an embarrassment for what they've done in the tournament aside from Villanova. No, you're right. So from that perspective uh, of just the respectability of the conference, and then two, the money with all the NCAA tournament credits that Villanova has brought in for the conference, it, it's crushing. I mean, it is a big blow to lose Jay Wright and potentially lose having a program that's been as good as Villanova has on the national level. But from a more granular perspective, when you go to Xavier specifically, if you're looking around for a team that's in a really good position to jump up and kind of take over if Villanova does fall back. You got to like Xavier's odds all of a sudden with the way things have unfolded. Them adding Sean Miller as they have. They don't have a a terrible roster in place to begin with coming back for Sean Miller, so in the immediate future, they've got a chance to compete. And then long term, I mean, you just look where Xavier's been in the conference and everything. There is now the opening to rise up and become the top team in the conference. I think Xavier's in as good a position as anybody at this point to do so. Yes. I mean, Ozzy, Xavier, Marquette, UConn, based on their coaches, right? I think that's probably right. I mean, you, you could maybe throw Providence and Creighton in there. Yeah. You have Doug McDermott, or I mean, Greg McDermott, and you have Ed Cooley, who are pretty well-respected coaches in the Big East as well. But, but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think UConn and Xavier, to me, would be the two teams that I'd point to as the ones that are best positioned to make that jump up right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a big loss. I, I, I do. And again, you know, maybe this kid's the exact, the exact perfect successor, and, and good luck to him. But he's not Jay Wright. What an interesting time for the Big East Conference, though, in terms of head coach storylines. You already had a ton of interesting ones coming into this year. With you're adding Shaheen Holloway, you're adding Thad Mata, you're adding Sean Miller. Now you lose Jay Wright. I, it's a, a pretty crazy offseason for the Big East Conference. It is. I, I didn't even think about the other two moves you just talked about. You're right. I mean, Gene Holloway star rising from St. Peter's, and obviously Thad having success that he had at both Xavier and, and, Ohio, and Ohio State. Um, it was a pretty nice ad for the conference. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of when the SEC was not very good, and suddenly you look up, and here's Rick Barnes in the conference, and here's Ben Howland, and obviously Ben didn't have great success yeah. at, at Bruce Mississippi Pearl. State. Bruce Pearl, yeah, I mean, you certainly added some 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 names into that coaching mix, and obviously the SEC kind of went from uh, a Kentucky slash Florida and who else to you know six, seven, eight teams. Nate Oates coming in the conference. I mean, you, you've certainly had an influx of coaches, uh, Musselman at, at Arkansas. I mean, these guys have done great jobs with these programs, and so yeah, I, I I think the additions inside the Big East make it a much more top to bottom competitive league. To put you on the spot here, but you you want to take your try at ranking the top three coaches in the conference right now? Um, yeah, I can do that. Um, give me a second. I'm, I'm going Ed Cooley one because I think Ed Cooley's done more with less at Providence, to be honest with you. Um, I'm going Ed Cooley one. I'll go Thad two. 
And I'll go Sean three with Danny Hurley and Shaka Smart just on the outside looking in. So Thad Mata is more accomplished than Sean in the sense that he's been to the final four. But I would probably put Sean above Thad because the the time that Thad has sat out raises more question marks than just the one year that Sean has sat out. Yeah, that's fair. I think there are definitely some questions about where Thad is at from a recruiting perspective at this point in his career. And uh, there's going to be some questions that need to be answered about how recruits and their parents feel about the health piece for him and and why he was sitting out for so long. So he's going to have to do a good job of selling that. And you deal with the lack of resources that you have at Butler. They're not spending at the same type of level as most of the Big East schools are yet. That that interests me, too, to see how that plays out. So I'd probably have Thad below Sean based on that. But, I mean, any of the names you just named could be thrown into a top five, and I think it's hard to make much of an argument against any of them, really. Yeah, no, agreed. All right, one other bit of news that you mentioned before, Skinny. Former Indiana point guard Rob Finnessy is transferring to Cincinnati for his final season of eligibility. Finnessy, who spent four seasons with the Hoosiers, chose the Bearcats over Butler and their new coach, Thad Mata. What did you think about the Bearcats' newest addition via the transfer portal? I like him a lot. I do. Um, but he's more facilitator than scorer, and they're, they're lacking in scoring. Yeah, he's a solid toughness piece, and I definitely think he makes them better defensively, which is something they struggled with at the guard position last year. David Julius isn't a great defender. It's not He's more of an offensive guy. And then Mikey Saunders was just a, a liability, quite honestly, on that end. He, couldn't, he was too small to stop anybody. So um, Rob Finnessy isn't the biggest guy in the world, but he's much tougher and a much better defender. But the point you brought up is the biggest question I have, which is, how much better does he make them offensively? And I definitely think he's an uh, upgrade over what they had in Mike Adams Woods and Mikey Saunders. I'm curious how much of his lack of scoring and his lack of offense was due to injuries and just not quite being able to to get out there consistently and be himself. Yeah, he also doesn't have Trace Jackson Davis to throw it into here at Cincinnati either. A very good point. A very good point. Uh, there, there's less talent on this team in general. And quite honestly, I you could make the argument that the Cincinnati team is going to lean on him a little bit coming into this year. He was going to be one of their more talented players. Now, I will say, you know, David DeJulius wasn't a, wasn't a huge score. He wasn't obviously a huge score at UC, but he was a scoring piece. You know, he wasn't a big score at Michigan either. So maybe Rob Finnessy just with this move and the, and the fact that, you know, maybe for Indiana, hell, if I had Trace Jackson Davis, I'd throw it into him all the time too. Maybe the fact that, he doesn't have that guy to throw it into. Maybe he does evolve more as a scorer. I just, I don't see it. I, again, I like him a lot. I do. I, I told you that. And then I, I said that up front, but I, you know, they need scores. I would agree with that. And I, I don't know that, that adding Rob Finnessy accomplishes that so much, but I definitely think it's an upgrade at the point guard position. So overall, yeah, I mean, there's no way to spin this as a, as a bad thing for you. No, agree. Definitely got better with this addition, but yeah, I think there are, are some questions still to answer in terms of where is, the scoring firepower going to come from next year. So, you uh, see, uh, switching gears a little bit here, but you see also added a big name transfer on the gridiron. Former Roger Bacon star Corey Kiner announced that he is transferring to Cincinnati after one year at LSU. The Ohio Mr. Football Award winner was the 160th ranked recruit in the class of 2021 and the 10th ranked running back in the country. He ran for 324 yards and two touchdowns on 79 carries last year as the backup running back for the Tigers. 
What do you make of Corey Kiner coming home to play for Luke Fickle's squad? That, that's a great get, man. Um, you know, he he was good enough to play as a true freshman at LSU, uh, was good enough to be their number two running back, was entering this year's is basically in the spring as the number two running back. Um, I, I, I He's a real talent. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about him as, as, a, as a person as well. Um, this is a guy that, that probably could have gone a lot of different places, even in high school, and he chose to to want to go to Roger Bacon, a smaller school, and um, you know was was a man among boys there. And and sometimes you see that, and you go, eh, is this going to translate to the SEC? Well, obviously it did. So that tells you his talent level right there. Um, the the numbers and things he did at Roger Bacon were just absurd. You know the fact that you had a Division four running back be Mister Football in Ohio, um, and and the fact that his head coach um, a lot of times would would pull him you know, right after halftime, he'd barely get touches in the second half and still put up the eye-popping numbers. He's a real talent. I think it's a great get. I mean, um, I, I put him on par with, with Jerome Ford and maybe even long-term a, a better player than Jerome Ford. So that's a pretty good get when 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 you lose Jerome Ford after what all the things he did last year. Yeah, to be clear, this is not a guy that was getting run off or was being told, you're not going to no. play here at LSU. Brian Kelly specifically tried to keep him. In fact, he was able to keep him initially to start the offseason, and, and right. this is a late transfer. Um, but this is a guy that LSU wanted, and he was a part of their plans, and he was going to get a lot yeah. of carries this year, and probably split carries is kind of a, a platoon system in their in their backfield. So uh, this is a big get for Cincinnati. He would have been the highest-ranked recruit in UC history since this stuff has been tracked had he committed to the Bearcats out of high school. Right. No, I, I again, like I said, I, I think it's a huge get. I, I, um, I've heard nothing but great things about him as a, as a person, and obviously the numbers speak for themselves. And the fact that, you know, true freshman playing in the SEC, that don't happen very often, man. That, that That's that's pretty rare because you're talking about you're playing some grown-ass men coming out of high school. That's a, a big ask, and he was able to pull it off in a, in a pretty nice way. This is also a big position of need for Cincinnati, too. I mean, you lose Jerome right, Ford. Right. They had some guys, but no one – proven no one that you said okay this is clearly going to be the the stud of the backfield next year and take over all those carries now you got a guy that I mean you've really got an impressive running backs room all of a sudden when you when you bump everybody down a spot and you you put him at the top it it changes the whole outlook of your offense in that backfield I think that's a good and and, and especially when they're going to probably have to rely right that's what I was going to say especially the fact that you know, Desmond Ritter is the one who, who stirred the drink. You know, Mike Warren did it while Des kind of evolved, and and then it was kind of Des's show. Now without him, and and you know, you you got Ben Bryant and Evan Prater, and Ben's probably going to win the job with Evan in the wings. I still, you're not going to let those guys throw it 30, 35 times a game. You're going to rely on your running game, and what a better way to do it than add a, a guy like Corey Kiner. Yeah, you also wonder if this adds to Evan Prater's value a little bit if they become more of a running team in general. Do you use Prater's athleticism right. back there a little bit more and, and get a little bit more tricky in terms of misdirection stuff and read option stuff or what have you? So I'm interested to see how that plays out. But adding uh, a guy like Kiner at a position where you needed it, I'm to the point now where I'm just expecting that UC is going to win the American again next year. Yeah, right. No, I am too. Despite I mean, losing, all, we, we, we talked about Sauce Gardner maybe being a top five pick, and and Des being maybe a first round pick, and, and Alec and, Pierce and my J. Alec Sanders. Pierce is probably and, a, a third round guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you you're losing a pretty good chunk of chunk of guys, and it doesn't feel like they're gonna miss a, a huge beat. They're gonna miss a beat, but not maybe not a huge beat. Yeah, I, you don't get better after losing all those guys no, right. that we're talking That's about. Right. Kobe Bryant, another one, but in the AAC, I mean, they're not going to be. Uh, 
a playoff team in terms of all of college football. But if you look at the AAC again, I mean, UCF is going to be pretty good at the top. But to me, it's kind of looking like a two-team race right now at UC and UCF if I had to handicap it. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, Skinny, that brings us to Ask Skinny Anything. And we are doing a special edition this week because uh, it is wedding week. I am now about 48 hours away from getting married. And we asked people to send in some wedding takes, stories, advice, what have you, and oh let you comment on it. So All right. that's what we're going to do. We don't have a ton to get through here, but I'll go through what was sent in, at least the ones that are worth. And uh, the first starts off with our guy, Jed. What goes into giving a great best man speech, Skinny? Um, just a tinge of embarrassment for the, for the, uh, for the groom. I, 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 I got my guy a little embarrassed when I gave my best man speech, just a tinge of it. You got to get some, get the story from how maybe the couple met. Cause usually if you, if it's, you're the best man, you've been friends for a long period of time. And then you kind of tell a story that doesn't embarrass her, does usually involve her, but then, uh, gives a tinge of just a tinge of embarrassment to the, to, to the groom. I, I don't sap up. I the, the guys who do do the sappy speech about, man, I loved you since we were five years old, man, and you were my guy, and I can't tell you, can't get through this. Nah, man, no, no, I'm not into that. <laughs> Shocking to hear that. Do, do you get a lot of um, people who, when the, like these things are come up, do you get a lot of people who ask you, oh, what, what should I do, or what should I say, or to ask you for advice at all about speaking in front of people? No, no. Believe it or not, I, I thought because my my youngest daughter was my oldest daughter's um, uh, maid of honor for her wedding, and I'm telling you, she did her own speech. Didn't ask for advice from me, and I mean, she knocked it out of the park. I mean, literally, they gave she got a round of applause. It was so good, um, and it was it was funny. It was heartfelt. She she got through without crying, which we were all stunned by. Somehow she did it all on her own, and so no, no, they didn't. I, w- I was, I was actually, I was really more impressed by her speech than than any speech I've ever seen. Wow, yeah. So I, I've been getting that question from like people in her family, people in my family, stuff like that, and I, I always give the same piece of advice. I say, you know what? No one's ever said about a speech. It's too I'll, long. Exactly. <laughs> Just make it short. Just right. keep it as short as possible. Say something that's heartfelt and that's nice and uh, to the point, and then move on with it. Don't try to do your tight five-minute stand-up act up there. Correct. You know, don't try to go into a bunch of different stories or uh, try to like make it a roast or anything like that. That never plays the way you think it's going to play. Yeah, no, I, I I did mine with a little tinge of embarrassment for my guy, but also tied it back in at the end of of that's when I knew that, that she was the right guy for him. Something along those lines. Our, our guy, Jed, who answered his own question here, says, one, memorize the speech, and two, be funny. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even do it a memorizing. I just did it all. I, I, it's funny. I do a lot. When I MC or do a lot of things, I don't write anything down. I, I usually just do it off the top of my head. What do you think about the smashing of the cake, Skinny? Mike says the smashing of the cake is trashy. Agreed. I agree with him. Um, that was one thing that, that my wife and I both agreed on and she, she even warned me, don't do it. I said, I'm not planning on doing it. I don't, I, I think it's goofy. I don't, I've never understood that tradition. It's just, uh, it, it is, it's, it's, it's silly. Yeah. I, I, I actually told my fiance that we will be, uh, we will never send in the marriage license to the courthouse if she does that. <laughs> I I've am never understood. So against have you, it. I, I've never really understood what's the what what is the reasoning it, of that? It, people, I, I guess, like back in the day before you guys had 
smartphones or whatever, this was like a huge source of entertainment. It was like super funny to smash cake in your face or something. Oh, but like, okay. I've always thought it was extraordinarily lame. But more importantly, I, th- it's not like I get to take a shower after that. I've now right. got to be at a reception the rest of the night with cake smeared in my face and sticking. And like, I'm, I'm a big can't stand being sticky or dirty or anything like that. Like I'm immediately wash my hands or anything. If there's a little bit of schmutz on them. So I can't be, I can't be smearing icing in my hair and then going on with the rest of my night. Like I'm noting you dude. I, that's why I, I, yeah, I, I, that was something that I didn't have a hard time agreeing on to be quite frank. Yeah, very easy no from me. And, and like I said, I, I took it a couple steps farther. Uh, will Yeah by Usher be played at my wedding? It will not. Uh, <laughs> the White People National Anthem will not be played at my wedding. I'm sorry about that. I know everybody seems to love that. It's so funny when you're out at like the banks at one of those bars and it, you know, it creeps past 9 p.m. or whatever. Yep. It's like inevitable. You will hear Yeah by uh, Usher and Ludacris, I guess, whoever else is in that song. And it is amazing. It's like every thirty-year-old white person just starts singing and dancing at that point. That's true. That's tremendous. I, I don't know what happened to that song and why it became so uh, such a, a universally loved song amongst our people, but it certainly did. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Skinny, are you a buffet guy or a plated dinner guy at weddings? You know, we did uh, we did buffet for ours i i can go either way i can also go with i i've done plenty of weddings in the undercroft of a of a church with with chips and 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 uh and pitchers of beer i'm, I'm good anyway i you know it uh i think a sit-down meal is quite nice but i don't think it's mandatory we did sit down for for my daughters um and it was nice and, and we you know they did a nice job the catering company did a great job actually um but yeah i'm kind of I'm kind of all over the map with that. Like I said, I'm I'm okay too with chips and pretzels and pitchers of beer, man. Yeah, we're doing a buffet style deal, but I'm I'm actually I think all wedding food is kind of the same. Like I'm never very impressed by like this braised pork or the something crusted chicken that everyone seems to have at every wedding. The garlic, wedding I was like and garlic mashed potatoes. Like yeah, that's gar- a that's always a bad idea. But always, that's always garlic mashed potatoes while yes. you're about to go dance and talk to right. people closely. Yeah, right. Always garlic mashed potatoes. That is so true. Uh, but the weddings that I, the only weddings where I remember what the food was, was like someone has an outdoor wedding and they do pulled pork or something like that. Like uh, we went to a wedding in North Carolina where they did this like really good local barbecue spot, and like all the guys were up and getting seconds. There. Of course. Only time I've ever seen that at a wedding before. And and now I remember it's like, oh yeah, they had the great barbecue at their wedding. So it's like, to me, I think it's more memorable to do something that is off the beaten path and different. Or the other thing I love is when people bring in like the taco bar or the conies at the end of the night during the reception. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah that. That's be- yeah. That's become a thing. Uh, the last handful of weddings I've gone to, obviously my generation got married a long time ago, but you know, now that some people I know, whatever their kids are getting married, et cetera. And my daughter got married. Um, I can't remember if she brought, she brought, I think we did taco bar, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the night, actually. Yeah, we, 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 that's what she did. She did taco bar at the end of the night. Um, and that seems to be a thing that, or conies, you're right. seem to be a thing nowadays. I, I, I like that too, actually. Yeah. I love the taco bar or the conies move. We weren't allowed to do that because of appearances on the other side, but I'm all, I'm all for it. So if you're, you're thinking about doing that, I think it is a great idea. Uh, oh, best skinny bachelor party story. 
Uh, okay, so this wasn't my, at mine. This was at a friend's. <laughs> so we did a bar hop, right? We started on the west side. He was a west sider. So we started on the west side. I was in the wedding so at his bachelor party. So we, we did the typical west side pub crawl and it ended up the night downtown at a place that's no longer there. It's It, it would be adjacent to where Paul Brown Stadium is uh, called Caddies. You may have heard stories of Caddies, I'm going to guess, correct? I've heard about it, yes. Okay. So we ended up there at the end of the night. And my friend's younger brother was with us. He was oh, 16, 17, but we were sneaking him into the bars. He was drinking a little. He wasn't drinking as much as we were, but he was, you know, certainly enjoying himself for, a, I guess he was 17 years. He was certainly underage. And this was at a time where you could drink in Ohio at age 18. So he wasn't far off. Um, so we're, we're in caddies at the end of the night. He's had a few, probably too many. And he accidentally at the bar bumps into a woman. And it was accidental because he had his, he was talking to me. She had his back to him, he had his back to her, and he bumped into her. Well, of course, boyfriend with testosterone all all going up in him um, starts to challenge this kid to a fight. And the kid's like, I'm sorry. And I intervene first. I say, hey, man, I saw it. He accidentally bumped into her, and she's trying to kind of, he goes, no, I'm going to kick his ass. Well, lo and behold, another friend who was in my, my, my buddy's wedding party jumps up, puts his thumb and forefinger against his voice box and says, I'm a Marine, and if I squeeze, I will kill you. And I've never seen a guy crap his pants like that in my lifetime. He he literally took off running out of that bar. And I looked at the, the Marine. I actually grabbed the Marine's hand. I said, don't do it, Jim. Because he, he, dude, he had the look on his face like he was going to do it. <laughs> so I grabbed his arm, and he looked at me like he was going to kill me. And so the guy took off after he just kind of let him slip away. He ran away. He looked at me like these just crazy eyes. And all of a sudden, he went, I'm good. I said, would you have done it? He goes, in the moment, yeah. I said, you would have squeezed it and killed him? He goes, yeah. He goes, I could have killed that guy. I went, okay, bachelor party time, baby. Yeah, that's that sounds like a really fun night for everybody. <laughs> but also, it's like, sometimes I think it's good to not have your hands be killing devices. You know, like, I think it's yes, good correct, that my hands correct. aren't capable of killing someone that easily. Because I really don't need correct. the power of going through that decision-making process. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was quite the, uh, quite the night. Oh, and then, and, then, and then to top it off, I decided we, we went to another side of the bar. This was when I decided to hop the bar because the bartender wasn't there. And oh, they served love myself, that. Served myself a pitcher of beer, and within five seconds, I was thrown out of the bar. Yeah, I'm really shocked to hear that. I've, never, I've, I've, never, I've never seen more bouncers come out of nowhere because it's like I'm looking around, looking around, looking around. I'm like, where's, where's, the, where's the bartender for this? No, nowhere to be found. We need beer. I just thought, I'll, I'll pay for it eventually, but I'm going to serve myself. I hop the bar, start pouring it, and I mean to tell you, they, they must have had eyes in the sky for, for miles around, because I mean, I got swarmed upon. Someone asked me to set the over-under on time spent on the dance floor by you on Saturday. Uh, uh, should it, should I put this up one second, or was there a song that will actually make you get out? Will you, will you even slow no, dance? Will I, you? I, I, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, here's the thing, because this usually takes place. There's usually the, the DJ does the... We need all married couples on the floor. Yeah. Then you get the been married for X number of years, been married for X number of years. Yeah, we're doing that. Of yeah. course. And so, yeah, I'll be, I'll be out there for that one and probably a couple other slow dances. Okay. So we're put, we're, it sounds like we should put it at about, you know, maybe four minutes or so, five minutes based that's off a, that sounds of about slow right. songs. Now, I, I will say when my youngest daughter, who's, who's, who is a professional dancer and she's quite good, when she and I are at wedding reception, she drags me out there for some fast stuff and I, I kind of dance around her for lack of a better term but with her not being around it's it's not going to happen fair enough i respect that we'll wrap it up with this skinny what's the best consummation song 
Um, go look at the movie. Go look at the movie Ten. Um, uh, what it's it's Bolero. I can't think of the song, but go 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 see the movie Ten with Bo Derek in it. She she puts on a song that she likes to to do it too, and I would say that's probably right up there. <laughs> it, so, it sounds like you just liked Bo Derek. Well, I did, but Bo Derek and that song. Now, whenever you hear that song, that's a it's a it's a it's a good one. Okay. Well, I'll have to look up what the song is. I have no idea what we're talking about. I never saw the movie Ten. I do see it's a 1979 American romantic comedy film, uh, written and produced by Blake Edwards. But I, I have no idea what we're talking about here. So I'll take well, your word well, for it. If, I'll listen to it after the podcast. Yes, and you'll go. Hmm, that is a pretty good song for that. All right. Well, I'll add it to the list for the honeymoon. Or you can always do some kind of boom chicka wow wow song if you want. Yeah, I, I actually just like the uh, Pornhub theme song. Yeah, exactly. The intro. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I like to get after it too. That's all. That's all the time I really need too. So. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, it lasts long enough for the song to play itself out, Rick. <laughs> that's right. All right, that's all I got, Skinny. <laughs> all right, man. Good luck this weekend. Uh, we will have a special edition next week with Rick on vacation. We'll come up with something. If not, we won't have a podcast. We'll figure no, it out. We will. We will have a uh, best. A best of asking okay, anything good. podcast. Yep. Good. There we there we go. So all good. All good. Seriously, uh, good luck this weekend. And uh, appreciate it. Uh, you and I will hook back up in, a, in another couple of weeks to, to get the podcast going again when you're a married man at that point. That's hopefully right. still married. Hopefully still married at that point. Yeah. Hopefully officially married. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, officially, officially be good. All right, for Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Keith and Brian Martin.